you have a Bible with you, one of our primary texts this morning will be 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So hear the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray this morning that you would come and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. So just a quick word. I don't usually start this way, but I would encourage you, if you haven't watched my update from last Thursday, I'd encourage you to, to watch that. It was an important one, I think. And so... With all of that said, let me start this morning with a question. You know, I've never preached a sermon that was specifically about mothers. So, happy Mother's Day, by the way. Um, And I've never preached a sermon that was about parenting. And part of the reason is I don't, I'm I'm not big on made-up holidays. Mothers are important, so are fathers. Um, But the parenting side, it was that my kids were young. It's like, how do (laughs) I, like... It just seems sort of hypocritical to stand up and say, here's what you should do if you're a parent, you know, and when I didn't know. And I thought, I can't do that until my kids are grown. And, well, what do you know? They, ha- they grew. <laughs> and they're, they're, out, they're out of the house. And they're married. And we're getting ready to have a grandchild. All these kinds of things. And I thought, you know what? I think I have a few things that, that I could offer this morning. And so basically the question that I want to begin with is this. The question is, what is it? that you are passing on to other people? What is it that you're passing on, maybe specifically to your children? What is it that you're passing on to your grandchildren? What is it you're passing on? Maybe you don't have children. That's fine, too. What are, what are you passing on to those with whom you have relationships? And we're always passing on things, whether, whether we are doing it intentionally or whether we're doing it unintentionally. So, for example, when my girls were young, I've, if you're a visitor, I have three daughters, I was in the army for quite a while, and so I had all these skills in my head, and I thought, I need to pass somebody, why not my girls? And so because of that, my daughters can shoot pretty well, they know field expedient demolitions, and they are pretty good at combatives, which is hand-to-hand combat, right? I had to pass it down, right? I didn't expect COVID, but I sort of expected the zombie apocalypse, and I wanted my children to be ready for it, and they are. I don't know about their husbands, but my girls can take care of business. More than field expedient demolitions and how to make uh, light-free Molotov cocktails, I wanted my girls to receive from me my faith, that which I believe. In other words, I wanted to pass on to them my faith. So even though I did pass on those other things and a love of classic rock and things like that, I passed on to them the faith, as did my wife. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, is, is passing on the faith. We're going to look at three things. We're basically going to look at who is responsible for passing on the faith, right? Is it just, 
Is it just parents? Is it just uh, caregivers? Who is responsible ultimately? Um, what are we passing on? Is there some, are, are there specific things, especially with regard to the faith, the Christian faith, that we need to be passing on to, to those around us and to our children? And finally, how do we make it stick? I mean, there's a tremendous problem. You know, I'm going to be referring, that, that's the point where I'll get a little bit more practical and a little bit more um, data-driven. You know, the Fuller Youth Institute has done a lot of work, and they have surveyed thousands and thousands of Christian families, youth group teens, parents, and they published all those findings in a book called Sticky Faith. And so if you haven't read Sticky Faith, we've actually taught a class on it here. Um, I'm going to be referring to that a little bit. You see, because part of the, one of the challenges we have is that about 50 or 60 percent of kids that grow up in church, once they leave home, they don't come back. In, in other words, they leave the faith. How do, how do we make it sticky? So with all of that said, um, first question, who is responsible for passing on the faith? Notice what verse 1 and 2 says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So let me give you a spoiler. Who, who ultimately is responsible for passing on the faith, whether you have children or not? And the answer ultimately is you are. Every Christian is responsible for passing on the faith in one sense or another. Notice how Paul opened this. Paul, as far as we know, the Apostle Paul had no children of his own. We, you, you know, some people think he may have been married at one point and lost his wife, but as far as we know, he had no biological children. And yet, did you notice how he referred to Timothy? He says, verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child. Some translations say, my beloved son. He could have said anything else. He could have said to Timothy, my fellow pastor, to Timothy, my co-worker in the Lord, to Timothy, my young apprentice. He doesn't say that. He says to Timothy, my beloved child. Paul obviously looks on Timothy as if he were some kind of son or a spiritual son to whom he is responsible to pass on his faith and to pass on. He passed on to Timothy at least three letters that we know of, right? Who is Timothy, by the way? If you look at Acts chapter 16, Timothy is the son of a believing Jewish mother and an unbelieving Greek father or Gentile father. So Timothy comes from a mixed race family and he comes from a mixed faith family. That's important to remember that his father is Greek because I think on in this passage, Paul gives a subtle dig at Timothy's father. I'll show you when we we get there. Um, But the point is, is that, that Paul met up he was preaching in this place called Lystra, and Timothy eventually went with Paul. He was Paul's right-hand man. The book of Ephesians was Timothy. As the, he left Timothy to pastor in Ephesus. And it's interesting because Timothy, sort of, you get the idea that he's not like, um, he's not the boldest guy in the world. That Paul has to write him letters to say, you don't have to be afraid of these people. Just preach sound doctrine. Give them the gospel, right? And so the book of Ephesians, he writes, and Timothy is the pastor there. The book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Because Timothy is having to deal with people in the church who are very antagonistic and who are very belligerent and who are very um, vocal about doctrinal issues. And Paul is saying, no, tell them that the issues that they think are important are not the important issues. That what's important is the gospel. And so he says, keep taking them back 
to the gospel. And so not only was Paul passing the gospel on to Timothy, but Paul expected Timothy to do the same thing with other people. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says this, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says this to Timothy. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see what's happening there? So Paul said, Timothy, I have taught you these things. And what I expect you to do is to teach these things to faithful men. And by the way, if you look at your footnote in the ESV Bible, at least, it says anthropoi. It's gender neutral. It could be men or women or men and women. But either way, he says, pass off these things to other people that they may teach other people. That the, the, our faith, the thing that we pass on, is never meant to be static. It's never, we are not to be buckets, if you will. That, that mo- a lot of Christians, I don't want to say most Christians, a lot of Christians just act like buckets. Just pour into me, pour into me, pour into me. And don't shake it, because when you shake it, it's going to spill. What we should be instead, I believe, is like pipes. That, that grace should be flowing through us constantly to other people. And so the question is, to whom are you passing on your faith? Right? You may have children that, that if you're a parent, that's the primary objects of, of faith passing. But if you don't have children, or, or if you have children, are there other people to whom you're passing on the faith? Is there someone, do you know, is there anyone in your life who, who knows less about the faith than you that you are actually discipling, that you're actually helping along? And by the way, this goes right into the Great Commission because you know who knows less about the faith than you do if you're a Christian? Most of the rest of the people in the world who are not Christians. That we're responsible also to pass the faith on to them, right? In the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and baptize and teach them to obey my commands. So you're not off the hook if you don't have kids. You can't say, oh boy, I'm off the hook now. I, I, don't have, I never had kids or I'm off the hook because you know, I raised my kids and they're out of the house. You're not. All of us are responsible for passing on the faith. And so the question is, um, what are we responsible to pass along? You see, in the context of the home, the primary primary objects are are children, and the primary uh, people, people who have primary responsibility for teaching children the faith are parents. In other words, if you're a parent, you are primarily responsible. And and even if you, you farm it out to other people, ultimately the buck stops with you, right? And so what is being passed on? Notice, first of all, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. So who passed on the faith to Timothy initially? It was his family. It was his mother and his grandmother. Notice, even if his father wasn't believing, his mother still passed on the faith. I know a lot of women like that, frankly. And so Timothy's grandmother and his mother passed on the faith to him. And the question is, what did they pass on to him? Well, Paul tells us in chapter 3 of this book, he says in verse 14, he says, as for you... Continuing what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted, acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good 
work. So what was passed on to Timothy? It was basically the sacred writings that would make him wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It was the Bible. His, his mom and grandmother taught Timothy the Bible. If you do a Google search of images, there's all these great images. Like This was a common uh, subject for people like Rembrandt to paint. And you see you know, little Timothy on his grandmother's knee, and she has a Bible open. They taught him the Bible, but not just the Bible generally speaking. They taught him the Bible with a certain perspective. And notice, I love what it says here. He says that you are acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I think that is a dig at Timothy's father. Why? Because you can just imagine, uh, you know, Eunice and Timothy on Sunday morning, they're getting, they're leaving for church. And as they're leaving for church, you know, the father says something cynical, oh, pray for us sinners. You know, I'm staying here at home. Timothy, what you really ought to be doing is reading Aristotle and Plato and all the great philosophers and all, pursuing all the wisdom of the Greeks. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, no, your mom taught you the Bible, which is able to make you wise for salvation. That wisdom without Jesus is nothing. It's knowledge, but it can't help you. And so his mother and grandmother not only taught him the scriptures, they taught him the scriptures as specifically as it pertained to Christ Jesus. In other words, just knowing the Bible isn't good enough. Do you know the Bible with regard to how it points us and takes us to Jesus? In other words, what they taught him was the Bible and they taught him the gospel. You hear that from me all the time, I hope. You hear that from Samuel all the time, I hope. You're going to hear that from Reuben next week, I hope. Where is he? Hear that, right? <laughs> no pressure on the youngster. But you, you get my point that they taught him the gospel, that what we are primarily responsible for passing on to our children, what we are primarily responsible for passing on to other people is the gospel. And let me show you or tell you where we get it wrong oftentimes, especially if you are a parent and especially if you're a parent of young kids. We, I think what happens oftentimes is we skip right to the end of that passage that I just read you, right? So the second part of the passage says that all scripture is God breathed for, out by God for profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for training, correction, and training in righteousness. And we think we go straight to the end, all right, I'm responsible for passing on the faith. Let's train them in righteousness. <laughs> like, let's just make sure they're good, right? That's what I care about because if they're good, I'm not embarrassed in church. And if they're good, I get more sleep. And if they're good, my life is better. But of course, I care about what happens to them. You see, here's the thing. Everything goes south if you skip the gospel step and go straight to the training in righteousness step. Because if you go straight to the training in righteousness step, you basically what you're doing is raising a moralist. You're raising someone who thinks what it means to, to be a, a, a good human being is just to be good. What it means to be saved is to be just good. Start with the gospel. That's what we pass on first. We start with the gospel, and then we train in righteousness. In other words, are our children, are those around us, understanding that, that righteousness without regard to Jesus is not righteousness. That what it means that we are good, not in order to get Jesus' favor, but we are good because we have Jesus' favor. Those are two big things. A lot of adults don't get that. A lot of adults spend their life trying to gut it out, hoping at the end that maybe if I'm good enough, I I, I know I trusted Jesus, but maybe if I'm good enough, I'm going to be able to get in. And that's just not the gospel. What the gospel says is that if you have trusted Jesus, your sins are forgiven and you are as righteous as you will ever be right now. 
And what it means to grow as a Christian is to grow into that. That's what we pass on to our children. Are you passing on to your children the gospel? Or are you passing on to your children basically a works mentality? Right? We struggle with that. I struggle with that. Judy struggles with that. Right? Are are we communicating not just with our words, but are we communicating with our actions and the way we treat our kids? What really matters is that you are good. Because at the end of the day, that can't save them. (laughs) And so what does that mean for us? That basically means um, that we need to do something different. We need to be thinking differently, but also we need to be proactive. How do we make the faith stick? Well, there's a couple of things. Let me go back for a minute. Let me read you this quote from Sticky Church about if, if, you, if you're not sure of what I'm saying is true, <laughs> from Sticky Church, basically they asked thousands of college juniors who are youth group graduates this question, what would you say being a Christian is all about? And more than two answered thing, listed answers related, this is a quote by the listed answers relating to doing the faith and loving others and following Jesus' example. More than one-third did not even mention Jesus, and of those, 35% did not mention God or Jesus. Those are kids that grew up in the church that, that when asked, what is Christianity all about? It's basically being good. I've heard Sunday school teachers say that in our church. That's not true. It's not the gospel. It goes on to say, many kids have adopted the gospel of sin management. When your children are taught what it means to live as a Christian, typically they receive a list of what to do and what not to do. Do go to church, do read your Bible, don't watch the wrong movies, don't have sex, etc. Et they, they, but they learn that from us. And so really, before you pass on the faith, you've got to think, do I understand the faith? Do I really get it? The other thing that's important is, are we catechizing our kids? I catechize my kids, and I catechize my congregation every single week. You ever notice in worship how I repeat things a lot? <laughs> I know some people do because they've complained about it. There's a point to that. It's, the point to that is because you're like, you, you know, like, I could say that in my sleep, like every week. Oh, God always initiates with sinners. I want you to be able to say it in your sleep. That's catechizing. You have a friend, Anthony Bradley. He's a, he's a professor at King's College in Manhattan. It's a Christian college. And basically, when kids go to the King's College, two things happen. So there are two kinds of kids. There are kids who come to Manhattan, and they're in the middle of Manhattan, and they see all the temptation, and they just go wild, and they just go off the rails. And there are other kids who come in the middle of all that, and they do fine. And Anthony said, and this is anecdotal, he said the, the difference between the kids that do fine and the kids that go off the rails is the kids that do fine have been catechized. In other words, whether, and he said through, in any tradition, Methodist, Anglican, Presbyterian, and we use catechisms all the time. Our profession of faith are usually from our catechisms, the questions and answers trying to pass the faith on to our children. So with all of that said, how do we make it stick? How do we, how do we um, help our kids to take the faith from being children and childlike faith into adulthood? That's the last point, how to make it stick. And the first thing is this, is we got to talk about it. We have to have conversations about it. I'm going to read you a, a, another quote from Sticky Faith that it, it really, like, moved me emotionally. Listen to this quote. It says, most parents don't talk about faith with their kids. 
According to the Search Institute's nationwide study of 11,000 teenagers from 561 congregations across six denominations, 12% of youth have regular dialogue with their mom on faith issues. In other words, just one out of eight kids talks with their mom about their faith. It's far lower for dads. One out of 20 kids, or 5%, has a regular faith or life conversation with their dad. That's amazing to me. One in 20 fathers out of 11,000 kids have faith conversations with their child, children. How could you not? You know, and, and I don't mean like, let me, let me confess to you something. When my girls were growing up, my oldest is, she's old. She's, <laughs> she's 27, I think, 26. Um, my wife's not here for me to ask. Um, when our girls were growing up, you know, I was determined I'm going to pass the faith on to my kids. And so what I determined I was going to do was, was that in our house, this house was going to be all about family devotions. We are going to have family devotions. And for my children's whole lives, I mean their whole lives, I was a complete failure at family devotions. Complete. And it wasn't that I didn't try. I'd sit down, I would get home from work. You know, Judy, by the way, who had spent all day, we homeschooled the kids, so she spent all day catechizing them, all day drilling them on the Bible, all day doing everything with them, and then I was going to come home and I was really going to pass on faith. You know, I was going to make sure they got it. All right, girls, sit down, shut up. Dinner's over, it's time to read the Bible, and you're going to like it. And I remember I couldn't make it through, I couldn't read five verses without having to say, Mercy, stop. Judy, can you get the dog? Flannery, I don't know. Just stop, stop. And we'd make it about two days, and I'd say, I'm not doing it anymore. I forget it. And so does that mean that I didn't pass on the faith to my girls? The answer is, of course not. What I had to do was I had to find something in the other 23 hours and 45 minutes of my life that I might be good at and do that instead. And so you can ask my children. It's a joke in our house now is... They, they had a love-hate relationship with movies because every single time they'd watch a movie afterward, I'd say, all right, where'd we see the gospel in that thing? Dad, it's just Harry Potter. I'm like, I know, wasn't that cool? That the, the Savior in that story was killed and then he rose from the dead and in the process, he crushed the head of this giant serpent. Does that sound like anything to you? Okay, Jesus, Okay. Right? And so everything, we'd read, I read to them every night. Every single night, we read the Lord of the Rings. Do you think there's anything in the Lord of the Rings that I was able to talk about? And every single time, and in music, every sort of aspect of life, I was constantly trying to bring the gospel in so that their worldview would be completely informed by the gospel so that even if they left the faith, even if they said, I'm not going to church anymore, there was no way that they wouldn't be able to see everything through that lens. And what do you know? It was relatively effective. So if you're a dad and you're saying, gosh, I'm no good at family devotions, or I've tried and failed, Tommy, you don't know. Let me tell you, you have not failed until you have failed at my level. But that doesn't mean you can't be talking to your kids all the rest of the day and integrating faith into their life all the time. Don't, don't not talk to them about it. The other thing is, secondly, is our children need to see us living out the gospel in the context of the local church. 
Let me read to you this quote. So, so you read this book and you're like, okay, what are the things, if I do these things, what are the things that can ensure that my children grow up in the faith? And this is what they say. The closest our research has come to that definitive silver bullet, like what's the thing to ensure your kids grow up in the faith, is this sticky finding for high school and college students, there is a relationship between attendance at church-wide worship services and sticky faith, more than small groups, more than mentoring, more than youth group, more than anything. In other words, the, the, the silver bullet, according to all the research, is this. Taking your kids to church. To, I mean, bringing them into big worship services. We have friends who, go to, who have gone to churches and where the church basically says, you can, if you're a kid, for 18 years, you can either go to church or you can go to Sunday school. And, the, and so a kid could grow up for 18 years and never actually attend a worship service. And then the kid graduates and he doesn't want to go to church and people wonder why. So that's one thing. Children need to be in church. One of the great things about being a hearing impaired pastor is the kids in the audience don't bother me a bit. Like you parents should think, I say it to parents all the time. They're like, oh, sorry, my child made noise in the congregation. I'm like, didn't bother me a bit. That's a gift. <laughs> Right? It's, I always thought it was bad. It turns out it's a superpower. <laughs> but <laughs> where was I? I mean, the, the point is this. Are your kids in church with you? Your kids can't be in church with you, by the way, if you're not in church. Most, most, most parents these days, most people in evangelical churches across the country, the average attendance is twi- two times per month, which I'm assuming if parents don't come twice per month, their kids don't come twice per month either. The more your kids are here, st- statistics say that they're, the more they're going to want to be here. But there's something even bigger than that. It's the relationships that are here. You know, if your kids are here and you're just out in the narthex and you're shucking and driving, you'd be amazed at how many adults engage your kids. Like some of my children's best friends, some of the people they look forward to, to talking to when they come home from, from Alabama or wherever they're living now, is they look forward to talking to people who are now in their 50s and 60s and 70s. People who used to pat them on the head when they were little girls, and now that they're women, they actually have something to talk about, and they engage with them, and they look forward to being here because of you, frankly. Most of you. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, I mean, it was true, but it was a joke. Um, the, the other thing, do they see you serving? Do they see you being generous? Do they see you being outwardly faced? In other words, parents are the most, that's, uh, the research says that parents are the most influential uh, force in any child's life, for, for positive or for negative. They're more, they're more influential than school. They're more influential than youth group. They're more influential than anything. And so what your children see you doing, they are going to think is important. So do they think, see you being generous? Like our girls, we didn't go through our budget and say, here's what we're giving. But oftentimes in my 15 years here, there have been times when, when the church budget was hurting and we were going to take a special offering or we were going to do something. We would actually have those discussions in front of the girls. How much extra, above and beyond should we give? And we would always try and push it a little bit. We wanted them to see us being generous. Do our kids actually see us being uh, outwardly faced, you know, one of, one of my great parenting victories, at least it, I felt for me, was one of the worst things that ever happened in our church. And, and I don't know, if those of you who are here a long time ago, someone in the congregation wrote a letter, an, an anonymous letter, and sent it to every person in the whole congregation. And what the letter did was it cataloged all of my uh, real and imagined sins. And on the top of it, it had like, you know how they do in the, 
uh, kidnapping letters, you know, where they post newspaper. It was like, is this really who you want as your pastor? And the last paragraph on it, the last paragraph had a, had an interview quote from a guy named Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll and I used to, we were both church planners in Capitol Hill. We used to have coffee every now and then. Capitol Hill, if you're not familiar, is the center of the Seattle's gay community, the arts community. And the, in the interview with Driscoll, it said something like, uh, he said, yeah, my friend Tommy Allen, he and his wife go on dates with their gay neighbors. They're, they're outwardly faced. And when that letter came to our congregation, the whole freaked out. And everyone, it was actually quite sweet because people were sort of locking down my girls. They didn't want them to be exposed to this letter. And, you know, it was, and I remember I was in California, of course, because that's when that kind of stuff used to drop. And Judy and I talked, and I said, Judy, let the girls read the letter. She's like, are you sure? I'll let them read it. She read the letter. And when they got to that part, Judy said, what do you think? And they looked up at her almost in unison and said, isn't that what you taught us to do? Love people around us, whether they're Christians or not? And yes. <laughs> Thank you for that teaching opportunity, anonymous person who sent that letter. That, that's what we are supposed to be doing. The biggest thing maybe, though, do your kids see you repenting? Do your kids see you asking forgiveness? Do your kids see you uh, confessing your mistakes? I think in our lives, the most powerful witness to the gospel that Judy and I had, especially me, but she would say her as well, was all of our mistakes and all of our losings of our temper and all of our things that we did wrong because those gave us opportunities to sit down with our children and tell them, that dad was wrong here. Would you please forgive me? In other words, do your children see that you need Jesus? They can't see that you need Jesus unless you tell them sometimes, unless you sit down and say, daddy really struggled with this. Will you forgive me? Mom really struggles with this. I mean, those of you who, who are mothers, of those of you who are homeschooled, you know, it, it's crazy sometimes. And you lose it sometimes. I know. Do your kids see you coming to them in repentance and asking for forgiveness? In other words, do your kids see the gospel at work in you? Let me finish with this part. Just to encourage you, I hope. Um, you know, the most, famous, the most famous verse in the Bible about parenting is probably Proverbs 22.6. You're familiar with it. I know if, you, if you, you don't know the verse number. It's like, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, what? He'll not depart from it. There are two errors we make when we think about that verse. The one, one error is we, we, we read it legalistically and, and as if that if we don't do this perfectly, our kids are going to be lost forever. And the other way we read it is, is not seriously enough. It's like, well, I'm Presbyterian. We believe in grace. We'll see how it all pans out in the end. You see, it... it if you treat that verse legalistically, whenever you read the Proverbs, you should almost read, put the word ordinarily in front of all of them, like our book of order, right? Ordinarily, train up a child in the way he or she should go. When she's old, we'll not depart from it. Ordinarily, sometimes that doesn't happen. And you see, if, if you have raised your children in as much as you knew how to raise them in the faith and they did not, they left the faith at, at some point. If you have a legalistic reading of this, you will just be destroyed. You'll be crushed because you'll say, I didn't do all the things I should have done. 
Now, by the way, in our family, you've got one person on one side of it and one person on the other side. And when our girls were growing up, I remember Judy crying, like, have I catechized them enough? Have I done enough? Have I taught them enough? And I would always remind her, Judy, God, God's not going to, our kids are not going to stand in front of Jesus someday, and he's going to say, well, you know, what's your excuse for yourself? <laughs> and they'll say, I had crappy parents. <laughs> he's, he's not going to accept that. He's just not. On the other hand, God uses means. You can't expect your child to know the Bible. You can't expect your child to become generous. You can't expect your child to care about the things of God if you don't teach them. So on one hand, don't be crushed by it. On the other hand, remember that God has given us means. He's given us the Bible. He has given us prayer. He's given us other Christians. Remember when we baptize children, we raise our hands, the congregation does, in order to say, yes, we support you in raising these kids. And so I'll just say to this, if you're a young parent out there, you got this, man. (laughs) You got this. You have a lot of people who are behind you, and you have a lot of people who are supporting you, and the, the mistakes that you are making now, and the mistakes you feel like you are making now, are actually some of the greatest tools that you have in your toolbox to leading your children to Christ and into the faith. So when you make a mistake, think, this is another opportunity that Jesus has given me to teach little Jimmy about the faith or whatever your child's name is. If you're an older parent and you're thinking, man, I didn't do all these things. I, you know, I've, I, what, what now for me? You know what? It's never too late to start passing the faith on to your kids. It's never too late to go to your children and start talking about your own need for Jesus, your own faith. Notice I said your need for Jesus, not their need for Jesus. They need to see your, that you believe it before they do. So think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that um, as we've talked about parenting this morning, that that we wouldn't leave here guilty about it, but we would leave here actually motivated about the fact that the gospel can change us, the gospel can change our children, the gospel can change those around us. Uh, Simply, our responsibility is to pass it on to them. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen and amen.